Many years ago, Riley Knight completed a degree in history. This proved to be a bad move, as it was absolutely useless for him. Until now, here's some half-assed history. What's going on, mate? Great to have you along for some more half-assed history. This week on the agenda, you're going to be having a chat about Caravaggio. Uh, he was, of course, the famous Italian painter responsible for some truly iconic and very influential pieces of work, uh, known for his, his style of art, tenebrism as it's known. It uses strong contrast between light and dark to create powerful and emotional works of art. But that's boring as hell, and we're not here to talk about that today. No, we're going to talk about the fact that Caravaggio was one of the loosest units in the history of art. This bloke loved to punch on. He loved to go out, get on the turps, and get into fights. You wouldn't believe it. He loved to fight. He'd go out looking for scraps with anyone and everyone. And throughout his entire life, he was involved in street fights, in bar brawls, in one-on-one duels, you name it, mate. He'd fight with anything, swords, clubs, especially his fists. He loved getting stuck in and punching people. Uh, So in addition to creating some of the most famous pieces of visual art the world has ever seen, Caravaggio also loved to head out in the town with his uh, with his mates, get pissed as a newt, swagger about, and bully people and try to fight them. He was violent and belligerent, but he was also very well connected as one of the most famous painters in Rome at the time, and his wealthy patrons kept him out of trouble, uh, for the most part, at least. They kept him out of trouble until they couldn't anymore, as you'll hear. And throughout his... Uh, Somewhat short life, he was involved in the creation of, of, again, some of the most famous works of art in the Western Oeuvre, and also he was involved in the creation of a fair few bloody, you know, black eyes, broken noses and missing teeth, I would have thought. So, alert listener Jesse Sutherland sent in Caravaggio as a topic suggestion. Honestly, I couldn't believe that I'd never heard of this bloke's antics before. Who knew art history could be so interesting? But look, thanks, Jesse. Absolutely spot on with the suggestion. Perfect for a bit of half ass history. So here we go. Let's get to it. Let's get stuck in with the story of Caravaggio. So we're going all the way back here. We're going all the way back to 1571, to Milan, which, of course, uh, as you know, today is in Italy. Except back then, it was in Spain. Um, now, it's not that they, you know, ripped up the entire city, put it on wheels and, and drove it across the Balearic Sea. No, Milan used to be part of the Spanish Empire. Uh, Italy, back at this point, wasn't a unified country. Though, of course, people, you know, speaking Italian, there was still Italian culture or whatever. But there wasn't just the nation of Italy as there is today. But um, it does mean that when Caravaggio is described as an Italian painter, you do get the opportunity for a you know a, a bit of improper, a bit of properly insufferable. Well, actually, you know, if you feel like being a bit of an arsehole, you can hit him with that. But anyway, on the 29th of September, 1571, young Michelangelo Marisi de Caravaggio was born, and uh, despite being born in Milan. He became known as De Caravaggio, and then later on just Caravaggio, because his family moved to a town called Caravaggio when he was just a little tacky. He was born into a very well-connected family. His dad was an architect and an administrator for the Marchese of Caravaggio. And so he had powerful political connections from the jump, and they only developed throughout his life, as we'll, uh, as we'll discuss. But as a young bloke, Caravaggio, uh, he had a bit of a, a, a talent for, uh, for, for art and painting, that sort of stuff. And so he was apprenticed to a painter called Simone Pitizzano. 
and he probably travelled around a bit after finishing his four-year apprenticeship with uh, with Peter Zano at the age of 17 in 1588. He was done with his apprenticeship. It's thought that he cut about in places like Venice. His work is very clearly influenced by some of the paintings that were found there. Uh, he would have also seen work by none other than Leonardo da Vinci in Milan. He would have seen them there, and and that would have you know had an influence on him as a young bloke. But um. Uh, you know, on top of this painting ability that even as a young age uh, was was considered by many to be virtuosic, he, he was he was very very talented indeed. Uh, Caravaggio became famous, uh, or, or perhaps I should say infamous, for something else, as I've already hinted at. This bloke had that many run-ins with the law, you just wouldn't believe it. He was in and out of police custody in the court system throughout his entire life. And you better believe we're going to be chatting about it because his violence, his belligerence, the fact that he's getting locked up, you know, every other bloody weekend for getting involved in a punch-up, it's just unbelievable. You know, sure, there are all the masterful transcendent paintings, you know, his revolutionary work with light and shadow, all the hyper-realism and all that sort of stuff, but boring, no, we want the blood and the guts, we want the horrible murder and the artichokes being thrown in waiters' faces as well. We will come to that, don't you worry about it. But we're getting ahead of ourselves here. Back in the early 1590s, Caravaggio, he's finished his apprenticeship, he's left that behind him, he's working on his craft as a painter, studying other famous painters and their works, but he's also getting in a whole lot of trouble, just fighting, fighting, brawling on the streets, this bloke loved to scrap, common thread throughout his entire life as we say, he just loved to punch on, what can I say, and in 1592, this is when he started to get in trouble for it, he was forced to flee Milan and leave to Rome to escape legal trouble after getting into fights, one of which involved, one of which, one of these fights involved uh, a police officer that he wounded. And so he had to flee. He was on the run from the law uh, in Milan and he headed to Rome. And there he was looking for work as a painter. And I'll tell you what, it was a good decision because there was a lot of work on offer there for painters at this time. He got to Rome. He was absolutely skint, hardly had any money to his name, desperate for work, right? And he ended up staying with a bloke whose name was Monsignor Pandolfo Pucci. And he continued painting while under uh, while under the roof of uh, of Monsignor Pucci, uh, and it's from this period that Caravaggio's earliest known works that can be very definitely attributed to him. It's when it's it's from this period they originate, uh, such as his work entitled "Boy Peeling Fruit," which is a painting of you'll be surprised to learn a boy who is peeling some fruit. Uh, two things that Caravaggio loved painting at this uh, during this period of his uh, of his life: boys and fruits. Uh, in fact, he very often painted pictures of, you know, handsome young blokes with a bit of uh, the old come ye hither energy. And there's a good there's a good amount of evidence to suggest that this bloke didn't mind a bit of a roll on the hay with another fella. He never married and he never he never had any kids. And while he had, you know, several confirmed casual relationships with women, uh, it does seem that he also didn't mind a bit of the old Rudy Nudy with blokes as well. Um, and uh, some of the people, some of the, you know, the young blokes that he painted at this stage when he was just a young man, barely out of his teens, uh, are thought to have been, you know, some of his lovers as well. So forever immortalised in these Caravaggio paintings, not a bad way to go. Anyway, as I say, he's staying with this bloke, Monsignor, Monsignor Pucci, but Carav- uh, Caravaggio, he didn't like this. He didn't like this fella, he didn't like this arrangement very much. Pucci. Uh, only offered meals of greens and salads to his boarders. And so as a result, Caravaggio used to call, used to call him Monsignor Insulata as a result, or Mr. Salad, basically. Um, but uh, while staying with uh, Monsignor Insulata, he found employment working for a painter whose name was Giuseppe Cesari, right? And while working for Cesari, he painted flowers and fruits for him in order to, you know, fill orders and commission, just doing bloody, like, do basically hack work. But 
During this time, while he's just, you know, getting the odd bit of work here and there from Cesare, his paintings immediately evidence themselves as, as masterpieces, right? They are known for their incredibly, incredibly realistic depiction of things that he painted from life. And even as a younger bloke, uh, even as a younger fella, you know, he was starting to get recognition as someone with just an incredible amount of talent. So, I mean, to, to, give, you, to give you an idea of how talented this bloke was when painting from life, the ridiculous amount of realism that he was able to get in his paintings, a modern professor of horticulture, you know, from the last couple of years, professor of horticulture, not art, professor of horticulture, examined one of his paintings of fruit, right, and this professor was able to identify the exact type of fungus that infected one of the leaves in the painting because Caravaggio's depiction of it was so realistic. I mean, incredible, right? And you won't be surprised to learn that Caravaggio didn't stick around in this position working for Cesare for very long. He didn't like, you know, between Monsignor's Insulata's, Monsignor Insulata's rabbit food and, and Cesare being a rubbish boss who really wasn't letting Caravaggio spread his wings and fly... Caravaggio told him, eventually just told him both where to stick it in the mid-1590s, and he struck out on his own instead. Now, I mentioned that he was very well connected in Milan, you know, these political connections. And this only got better, in fact, for Caravaggio. It only got better from there, unusually for this podcast, uh, when he was in Rome, because his skill with the brushes obviously gained the attention of wealthy patrons in addition to his family's political connections. So he did very, very well for himself. Not only was he connected to a network of, of, of rich patrons, but also he was well connected with other artists in Rome, some of whom would go on to then introduce him to further, even more rich clients and help him find even more lucrative work. However, some of these artists, rather than introducing him to you know rich clients, instead introduced him to the Roman underbelly of drinking and gambling and street fighting. And as we know, Caravaggio loved both painting and punching on in roughly equal measure. And so that is what he did. Young bloke in his early 20s, he painted and he fought. And he had a great time getting drunk and gambling and obviously we can reasonably assume shagging all sorts of people. Um, now, a lot of old and stuffy sources about Caravaggio. You know, they talk about some of the people, some of the men, some of the young blokes that he was, uh, uh, you know, associated with. They, when they start talking about these people, they start using words like um, companions and close friends. And, you know, we can go all the way back to Achilles and, and, and Patroclus with this nonsense. You know, when two famous blokes from history or myth are getting up in each other's guts, all the euphemisms get wheeled out by historians whose attitudes would honestly better be suited to the time periods that they study rather than the modern era, right? So when you're reading about Caravaggio, and, and in particular there's one, there's one young fella, Mario Miniti, right, who was another painter, who was, according to these sources, Caravaggio's companion, you better believe that they were they were hopping on the good foot and doing the bad thing. I'll, I'll tell you that much because there is every there is every you know reason to suggest that this bloke didn't matter. It didn't matter to didn't matter to Caravaggio at all who he was jumping into bed with. He would you know he'd, he'd take him coming or going. So he's very probably rooting this uh, this bloke Maniti. And uh, in addition to that, Maniti is also modelling extensively for Caravaggio. He's in a bunch of his paintings, such as a famous work called The Fortune Teller. You may have seen this. Caravaggio's first painting with more than one person in it. The bloke in that painting is modelled off Maniti. So if you want to see the kind of bloke that he was, uh, that he was uh, you know, getting around, you can have a look at The Fortune Teller. And, and that was Caravaggio's <clears throat> close friend, you know, close in a 
very literal sense, I would imagine, on a Friday night. But uh, look, this uh, this painting, the fortune teller, became a very, very influ- influential painting, very famous piece of work. But Caravaggio, he also copped a lot of criticism from older masters, these older established entrenched painters, about his method and his technique, let me tell you. Most of these older blokes, these, these master painters, they would paint from a drawing. They'd sketch the figures. They'd often use old works as references, right? They didn't often paint from life. They would draft out how they wanted the painting to go and they'd work on it from there. But Caravaggio instead, he would paint directly onto blank canvas from life. He'd never do more than sometimes make a couple of indented lines on the canvas with the end of his brush. And other painters hated this. They said it was slipshod. It showed poor technique. But such was Caravaggio's skill. You don't have to be an art critic to see that this bloke could paint unbelievably realistic works and he could do it without even sketching on the canvas beforehand. So just amazing. But all these people who are, you know, cop, giving him flack, he's copping flack from all these old idiots who are saying, oh, it's not, it's, not, it's not the way to paint. Bugger them. Because the fortune teller and other paintings like it got Caravaggio a huge amount of commissions because of how good they, you know these works were. He picked up a tonne of commissions from wealthy patrons, he expanded his circle of powerful contacts even further. And one such patron, Cardinal Francesco Maria del Monte, not only commissioned a stack of work off Caravaggio, but also introduced him again to other rich blokes who wanted painting. Caravaggio, he's off like a greyhound here, mate. He's got money coming in hand over fist. His paintings are going out the, uh, uh, you know, they're going out the door as fast as he can paint them. And on top of that, he's heading out every night to get into fights with people. So, He's having, he's having the time of his life. His career as a painter has taken off, but also his career as this belligerent, bad-tempered brawler, it's taking off as well. We know that Caravaggio loved to have a scrap. We've talked about it extensively. We, we, he loved to cut about looking for people to fight. But it was linked to his career as a painter. Because he wasn't a modest bloke by any means, right? And so after his paintings were met with such success and after he's making this money hand over fist, what he would then do with this fist is go and, you know, bury it in the face of some other poor bloke after being flushed with success success and cash. He'd dress himself up, strut about the town armed with a sword at his side, and he'd go out looking for people to antagonise and fight. In 1598, he was arrested for doing exactly this. He was taken into police custody for carrying a sword without a permit. But here's the thing. He just didn't ever really get in any trouble for any of this. He's a famous and he's a well-connected artist. He wasn't going to stay behind bars for long. But as soon as he was released, I mean, he's not going to stay out of trouble for very long either. I, I Look, I want to talk about his art. I do. But, mate. What, what I really want to talk about is his rap sheet because it is just unbelievable. This bloke is one of the most famous painters in human history. But when he wasn't working on the canvas with his brushes, he was working on bloody other people's faces with swords and clubs or, you know, again, just his fists. So let's compromise here. Let's work our way through a little, a little timeline then. We'll talk about his art, but we'll also talk about all of his legal issues and the punch-ons as well as we go. So we'll start this year around the turn of the 17th century. He's in his late 20s. He is young and dumb and he's full of, he's full of uh, artistic talent. And his, uh, his dramatic visual style is really starting to establish itself. Caravaggio, he pioneered this painting style known as tenebrism, combining the sharp contrast of light and dark in his painting, this um, you know, he combined this uh, this contrast with uh, his ability to to capture hyper realistic faces and figures. And if you go and have a look at most of Caravaggio's paintings, less so his early stuff. Later on, uh, it, this really becomes very pronounced. You'll see 
usually a very stark contrast between well-lit subjects and very dark, shadowy backgrounds. And this style, this is like tenebrism, very influential on art at the time, a key part of the Baroque movement of, uh, in visual art, um, and also a key characteristic of Caravaggio's work. And while, look, while some people at the time, they hated it, they said it was garbage, most people, they're all about it. He continued to score huge commissions. One of his most famous sets of commissions was made for a, a chapel in the Church of San Luigi de Francesi in Rome, the, the martyrdom of St. Matthew and the, and the calling of St. Matthew, they're called. And they're still there to this very day. They're still hung in this chapel. You can go and see them. Uh, but once unveiled in 1600, you know, over 400 years ago, these paintings immensely popular. Caravaggio had people lining up round the block for commissions after these things were, uh, were put on display. But his work was a little interrupted, however, by his uh, extracurricular activities because in November 1600, he was taken to court for beating up a bloke with a club. And not just any bloke either, but a fellow guest of his patron, Cardinal Del Monte. Caravaggio was staying with the Cardinal and he ended up in a fight with another bloke, a nobleman, right, who was also staying with the Cardinal and Caravaggio, you know, irrespective of their shared connection with the with the cardinal, he just beat this bloke senseless. He gave him, he, he apparently gave him the business with his club, whacking him about, and uh, was taken to court for it. And this wasn't the only example. That was just one that made it to court. Caravaggio was uh, arrested and locked up constantly. Got into all sorts of trouble throughout 1601. More brawling, more fighting, more attacking people. Continued to cut about the city, essentially looking for fights. He and his mates, you know, they're, they're prowling about looking for victims, start insulting them, try to get their hackles up, try to get them to lose their temper before ultimately attacking and fighting, uh, fighting with them. But it wasn't just the brawling that was getting him in trouble. He also produced some paintings that were very controversial and, uh, and uh, raised people's ire as well. One of his 1601 works called Death of the Virgin caused him a few issues when it emerged. It had been, it had been commissioned to, uh, to decorate a chapel, and as you can imagine, you know, depiction of the Virgin Mary, a religious painting. But it emerged, the blokes who commissioned it, they found out that Caravaggio had used a famous prostitute to model for the Virgin Mary, and they rejected the commission. They sent it back. They said, we don't want it. Now that we've found out that, you know, it was a, it was a sex worker who was, who was modelling for Mary, these stuck-up prudes obviously didn't want anything to do with it. But... What's more, and I will warn you, listeners of a delicate disposition, cover your ears lest this scandalous travesty offends your sensibilities. This painting of the Virgin Mary modelled off of a prostitute. He painted Mary with bare legs. Can you believe it? The horror. Will someone please think of the children? Now, he ended up reworking the painting. Uh, It now hangs in the Louvre in Paris. uh, And thankfully, oh, the Virgin's legs, they are now covered. Thank goodness. I mean, the moral degradation of modern society, I tell you what. But it wasn't the only painting that was rejected on moral grounds as well. Other paintings were uh, were turned away by the, pa- the patrons who had commissioned them. They had to be redone as a result. Uh, St. Matthew and the Angel initially depicted Matthew looking like a filthy peasant, bald with dirty feet. And uh, the people who commissioned it, they didn't want, you know, St. Matthew looking like, uh, like an, you know, an unwashed peasant there. So they, they knocked it back and he had to redo it. He, he redid it as the inspiration of St. Matthew. Um, now, interestingly, the St. Matthew in that painting, the second one, is still bald, uh, but at least his, his feet are clean this time around. So I guess it was the, you know, the dirty feet that they, they, they didn't like there. But there was another painting as well, Madonna and Child with St. Anne. You should, have, you should have a look at this. It's a very weird painting. Uh, it was removed from display after just two days because it was said to be twisted 
and sacrilegious. Now, I'm not sure why. Um, it does show an enormous baby Jesus with his little willy on display while stomping on a snake. So maybe that's it. I don't know what the issue was, but that one was taken off of display. But here's the thing. All these controversies, all of these issues that arose around Caravaggio and his paintings, right, it only made him all the more famous. His incredible skill with the brushes combined with all this, you know, free publicity he's getting. And so the work just kept piling in because this bloke's, you know, these talents spoke for themselves. No such thing as bad, no such thing as bad publicity for this fella. But if you perhaps think, revered listener, that, you know, as the years passed, Caravaggio may have perhaps mellowed out a little bit, you know, may have, uh, may have chilled out as, as, as the years offered him greater maturity. You couldn't be more wrong because as we move into 1604, 1605, he's going bloody mental, mate. He can't stop, won't stop. He's going around bashing up blokes for no reason, just behaving like an, this, this aggressive, belligerent tool. And the most most ridiculous example of this was in 1604. This one is this one is just it's it's just absurd. Caravaggio, he's out with a couple of mates, right? They head to a restaurant. They're going to sit down for lunch. So he sits down with these fellas, chatting away, having a great time, looking forward to having a nice lunch. Waiter comes over, g'day fellas, what do you blokes be having? Caravaggio says, "I'll have the fried artichokes, thanks very much." And the waiter says, "Oh, mate, no worries at all. A fi- I can I can only compliment you on your choice, sir. The, the fried artichokes, so it will be for you." You uh, you sit there and you wait. I'll grab your San Pellegrino while you're waiting. No dramas at all. Goes off to the kitchen, hands in the order of the artichokes. You know, the, the, the chef fries them up and the waiter brings them to the table. So he comes back to the table. He's got this plate of eight artichokes in total. Four of them have been fried in butter and four of them have been fried in oil. Now, Caravaggio, right, he looks at these artichokes. He says, now, listen here, mate. He asks the waiter, he says, which ones were cooked in butter and which ones have been cooked in oil? And the waiter says, well, mate, if you just pick them up, have a, have a quick sniff of them, you'll be able to tell. Now, you know, maybe not that polite or helpful of the waiter. Maybe he could have just pointed them out here rather than telling Caravaggio to have a sniff of the ones that he wanted to eat or not want to eat there. But Caravaggio absolutely lost his rag. After this waiter said, just have a sniff of these artichokes, mate, he picked up the dish of artichokes and he chucked it straight at the waiter's face, right? Bonked him on the head and fell on the ground. And then that wasn't enough for Caravaggio, who we know loves a fight. He reached across, grabbed his mate's sword, and got ready to attack this poor waiter for telling him to sniff an artichoke, mate. What's going on there? The poor waiter, I mean, he, you know, he's just trying to give a man some fried artichokes. artichokes. Now he's about to get cut up by one of history's most famous painters. Not the sort of day that he was expecting to have. But he's out of there like a shot. He's scarpered. He goes to the cops. He dobs Caravaggio in. But, I mean, you know what comes next? Caravaggio. He escaped punishment, of course, got away with it scot-free. He was too well-connected. He had far too many friends for any of this stuff to stick to him. And so invariably, when he got in trouble, when he was arrested or taken to court, he'd he'd get away with it. Friends in high places, simple as that. He was arrested later in 1604 as well for uh, throwing stones at some cops on a street corner. Got away with that. Uh, And then in 1605, once again, he was arrested for carrying a sword without a permit. And the reason I bring this one up, I mean, this is a a relatively minor thing, but the fascinating thing about the 1605 charge with the the, the unlicensed sword is that you can go online and you can see the actual written arrest record there. It's been restored. The ink was like eating away at the paper, but it's been expertly restored since then. This thing is 400 years old, but you can go online and you can see an actual factual arrest record that was made of Caravaggio, complete with the statement made by the arresting officer and drawings of the sword and the dagger that were confiscated. It is fascinating. It also confirms that Caravaggio, after being arrested, 
had his weapons returned and was released without charge because Cardinal Del Monte stepped in on his behalf, had the whole thing smoothed over, must be very nice. But I tell you what, go go online, have a look for this arrest record. It is fascinating to see. Again, one of history's most famous artists. An an arrest record, handwritten out in Latin Latin and Italian. You can read it with your uh, your own eyes. Incredible. Anyway, his troubles, uh, they, they, they continue. Sorry, we've just completely stopped talking about his art here, but... Whatever. His troubles continued in July when he attacked a Vatican notary with a sword, giving him a very bad head injury. Once again, his he's Caravaggio's patrons, they stepped in, make sure he didn't get too much trouble, uh, as they did again that same year, 1605, uh, after he didn't pay rent. And when his landlady demanded it, he threw rocks through her windows. I guess that's one way to make sure you don't get your bloody bond back, Caravaggio. What are you doing? Later on the same year, November 1605, Caravaggio was rushed to hospital with a sword wound. Uh Uh-huh, you're thinking, what's this? Has someone finally managed to get the better of of him, did they? Did someone finally manage to bring low the great fighter and also quite decent painter Caravaggio? No, they did not. Caravaggio apparently managed to injure himself with his own sword, believe it or not, or... I mean, the or not here is actually very plausible because maybe he just said that. Maybe that was just an excuse. Maybe someone did skewer him and he was too ashamed to admit that someone got the better of him. And so he gave us the old, oh, yeah, nah, I I fell on my own sword excuse. We're still not sure. Anyway, all of these legal issues, right, they, they were all very deftly sidestepped by the intervention of Caravaggio's rich patrons. But... There was one issue that emerged in May 1606, right, that they couldn't help him with. Because this next problem that we're going to talk about, he, he didn't just face, uh, you know, trouble with the law. Instead, he faced trouble with the Roman criminal underworld, people who his wealthy patrons couldn't buy off. In May 1606, he's still, he's still painting, by the way, whatever, we'll come back to that, who cares. In May 1606, he got into a fight with a fellow whose name was Renuccio Tomassoni, right? Now, Tomassoni, a very, a very, I was going to say famous, but again, infamous Roman gangster. Tomassoni and Caravaggio had had a ton of fights before. This wasn't their first blue. They'd clashed over all sorts of stuff. But this time, it escalated very quickly. And historians still argue over what the fight was over. There are two schools of thought. The fight was over either over a woman. Okay, sure. Wouldn't be, wouldn't be the first time someone, you know, two blokes had fought over a woman like this. Or... It was over, of all things, a tennis match. A tennis match. Well, actually, not a tennis match. Technically, a game called Palacorda. It's a game a bit like tennis, but still, whatever. Half of the art history world reckons that Caravaggio, one of the greatest artists of all time, got into a fight over what it was effectively a tennis match. The other half, however think it was about, uh, as I say, this uh, this woman whose name was Felidi Melandroni. She was a famous prostitute who had modelled for Caravaggio on a bunch of paintings. Not the Death of the Virgin, some other ones. We'll, we'll talk about them in a second. Um, but uh, Melandroni, right, her pimp was Tomassoni. And so apparently Caravaggio owed Tomassoni a lot of money um, and this fight broke out after a disagreement at the Palacorda game. Now it could have been over dam- gambling debts to do with the with the Palacorda game. It could have been over. Uh, it could have been over Melandroni. Whatever the cause, these two blokes they get stuck in. Caravaggio in his element. If he didn't have a brush in his hand, he'd, he'd, a weapon or just a fist. Don't worry about it. And he's he's you know 
He's feeding Thomas only the left and the right, absolutely giving him the business. Caravaggio wins the fight. And when Tomasoni was laying there defeated, right, Caravaggio jumped on top of him and you are just, you are never going to guess this, what he did next. Like you just, you are not prepared for it. Caravaggio jumped on top of him, pulled down his pants and tried to castrate him, which apparently, according to the reading I did, was actually quite common in Italy at this time in fights over women. These Italians, mate, Unbelievable. What are they up to? Caravaggio wasn't just satisfied with winning the fight. He wanted to cut this poor bloke's nuts off as well. But now, Caravaggio, masterful painter, decent street brawler, not a well-trained surgeon, let me tell you this, and so he botches the job and he doesn't castrate Tomasoni very well and manages to slice through Tomasoni's femoral artery and so Tomasoni bleeds out and dies. Oops. Now, Tomasoni was a gangster. He was very well connected, just as well connected as Caravaggio. I mean, even perhaps more so. And there is a lot of money behind him and his family who are immediately out for Caravaggio's hide. Even his patrons can't help him here. The Tomasonis, they managed to have a public bounty put in his head. And when I say his head, I mean quite literally his head. He was sentenced to be beheaded by the Pope. Well, sorry, let me rephrase that. The Pope sentenced him to be beheaded. He wasn't sentenced to be beheaded by the Pope. The Pope wasn't handed the axe and told, you've got to go and take care of this. The Pope sentenced him to death by beheading. Imagine that, right? So he couldn't stick around in Rome anymore. Not after this. Not with bloody bounty hunters on his tail. And, and, and the Pope, you know, with the, with the, the executioner's mask and the axe in his, uh, in his hand running down the Vatican ready to get him. No. He, uh, he fled. He ran away from Rome. He fled in 1606. He left Rome and went to Naples instead. Now... In Naples, he wasn't under the jurisdiction of Rome. Remember, Italy wasn't unified then as it is today. And his powerful contacts were able to shield him safely in Naples while he got on with his painting. But here's what's really interesting. From this point onwards, Caravaggio had a morbid fixation on beheadings, very probably because he was so afraid he was going to have his, his own head chopped off. And because of this, beheadings began to feature very prominently in his works from 1606 onwards. In 1607, he did a second version of his uh, of, a, of a famous previous work, Judith Beheading Holofernes. This was originally done in 1602. If you look up that painting, by the way, the woman who was modelled, uh, the woman who modelled for Judith, right, was none other than Felidi Melandroni, the prostitute that Caravaggio made Fort Tomasoni over. So you can go get a look what she looked like. Um, but he redid this painting, right? He redid this this uh, Judith beheading Holofernes. And after that, there is also the beheading of St. John the Baptist, Salome with the head of John the Baptist, and David with the head of Goliath, painted in 1608, 09, and 1610, respectively. So clearly, beheading is on his mind a fair bloody bit there, mate. But he didn't stick around in Naples for long. In 1607, he headed off to Malta. Uh, and he was received in Malta with, uh, with great fanfare. He was inducted into the Order of the Knights of St. John. They were very, very happy to have this very famous painter in their ranks. And uh, he looked to, you know, be ready to settle down into Malta very comfortably indeed. But while the Knights of St. John may have been happy to have this famous painter in their ranks, it turns out that they were less happy, however, to have a belligerent bully who loved to punch on in their ranks. And so it turns out he didn't last very long at all in the Order or indeed in Malta. 
While he did fa- uh, paint some of his most famous works during his time in Malta, uh, the beheading of St. John the Baptist being the best example, the one I mentioned before, can still be found, in, interestingly, in Malta, in St. John's Co-Cathedral. You find it there in, uh, in Valletta. Uh, he also continued with his favourite hobby of bashing blokes up. And after he beat up a, uh, a wealthy and very famous member of the Order of St. John, uh, one of these nights, the Order not only expelled him, but also arrested him and locked him up. Now, we come to a part of the story that, for me, is very frustrating, because he escaped from his imprisonment in Malta, but I couldn't find any details of how. He beat up this knight, right, who obviously was not happy about the situation. This knight was uh, was was quite politically powerful, wealthy, well-connected, whatever else. And so so Caravaggio was, was chucked in prison. He managed to get out, but I've got no idea how. All of the sources that I read, every single one of them just glossed over it. It's just like, and he managed to escape or, you know, th- th- that sort of stuff. Didn't give us any of the juicy details about how he, it's a, an absolute mystery to me. I mean, I would love to find out how he managed to escape from prison in Malta because I couldn't find Hide nor hair of the details. Anyway, escape he did, and this time he's off to Sicily. He headed from Malta to Sicily, and you'll never guess who was uh, who was there to meet him, but his old mate, Mario Manetti, the bloke that he was very probably shagging 10 years before. Now, Manetti, at this point in his life, he's married, still painting, and he's thrilled to see his old flame, you know, re-emerge, come and visit him in Sicily and, uh, and, and come and hang out. Look, I, you know, I don't know what they got up to during this time. He's a married man now, so who knows, but he heads to Sicily, there's a friendly face there, and uh, the two of them actually travel around uh, Sicily together for a little bit before Caravaggio once again got on with painting. Still getting commissions. I mean, if you can believe it, despite all the rest of the stuff we've talked about, he's still the work is the work is flowing in no worries. And uh, in Sicily, he produced very famous works like the Raising of Lazarus and Adoration of the Shepherds. His style still developing, his mastery ever increasing. Painting chat boring. Let's get back to the other stuff because unfortunately, his sanity was slipping. He was not having a good time by this point. He was living in fear of his Roman bounty being collected. But now on top of that, he's got the Order of the Knights of, uh, of St. John on his case as well. He is certain that people have tracked him to Sicily from both Rome and Malta and were hunting him down. And so before long, you know, after sticking around Sicily for a little bit with Maniti, he, he left the island and he headed to Naples once again, seeking the protection of his rich friends there in mid-1609. And by all accounts, he really wasn't in a good spot at this point. He was paranoid. He was certain he was going to be attacked. He was certain his life was at risk. He was he was afraid of enemies, you know, both to the north and the south, in Naples and in Malta. And so jumping at shadows, looking over his shoulder and expecting an attack at any moment. And as it turned out, he was right, and his fears were well-founded. In October 1609, he was ambushed, he was attacked, and he was wounded, taken by surprise by men who were seeking to kill him. And we're still not sure if they were people sent from Rome to avenge Tomassoni, or if they were people sent from Malta to, you know, undo the insult he'd, uh, he'd done to this bloke this night who he'd beaten up. I mean, he had no shortage of enemies, but Caravaggio, badly wounded, uh, his face disfigured as well, which seemed to have had a, uh, you know, a, a bit of a negative effect on his mental health. And he's at his wit's end by this point. At his absolute wit's end. Remember before, you know, I was talking about his fixation with beheadings and some of the paintings that he that he did. And I was talking about some of them. For example, the, the painting called Salome with the head of St. John the Baptist. I encourage you to go and have a look at that painting, right? Because obviously, you know, it's a, I mean, it's a, it's, it's a masterful work of art. But I want you to look very closely at John the Baptist in that picture because he modelled... John the Baptist, 
on himself. He painted himself being beheaded. And what's more, he did it again with the other painting I mentioned, David with the head of Goliath. Go and have a look at these paintings. You'll see it. Clear as day. The severed heads depict Caravaggio himself. So he is that addled at this point. He is having that bad a time that in order to deal with how he's feeling, he is painting himself being beheaded. And further than this, he actually sent these paintings to his enemies in Rome and in Malta as peace offerings. He's like saying, look, you blokes, I'm doing my nut in here. I'm that stressed. I'm painting myself as a severed head. Just would you leave off, mate, for one second? But then he got some good news. It seemed to work. Unbelievable. I mean, not even unbelievably. After sending David with the head of Goliath to a contact of his in Rome, who just so happened to be the nephew of the Pope, the Pope began to consider offering him a pardon and welcoming him back to Rome. Fancy that. A lucky turn of events for Caravaggio there. But, you know, then again, when you can bribe people with paintings by the most famous artist in Italy at the time, by very helpfully being the most famous artist in Italy at the time and producing these paintings yourself, it makes things all the easier. However, Caravaggio, he never received the pardon. He never received the pardon. It looked like he was going to get it. It wasn't made official or anything, but it did look like uh, looked like the Pope was going to pardon him and welcome him back to Rome. And with that in the pipeline, Caravaggio, he made the decision to return. He made ready to return to Rome, meet the Pope, have the sentence lifted and get on with his life there. But as I say, he never made it. He died on the journey to Rome in 1610, apparently of a fever. It's been established beyond any doubt that he was indeed unwell with a fever as he boarded the ship to Rome. But whether it actually killed him, that, my friends, is a lot less certain. He might have also had syphilis or malaria. There are some theories that hold that he died after consuming unpasteurised dairy food. He may have died of lead poisoning because paints back then were full of the stuff. Or he may have died of an untreated wound from, you'll never guess, a street brawl that he was involved in in Naples. However, there were rumours then, and there were rumours even now today, that his past caught up with him, and that he was killed by agents from either Rome or from Malta. And in 2002, some documents emerged that support the theory that it was Tomasoni's family that did, in fact, have him hunted down and killed in 1610 before he could return to Rome and receive this pardon. But whatever the case, and we still don't know 100% conclusively today, Caravaggio, he did in fact die on his way back to Rome at the age of 38, his life cut short. And what a life it was. Somehow, someway, between all the fights and the gambling and the brawls and the attempted castrations and the throwing artichokes at waiters, Caravaggio also managed to find the time to secure his position in history as one of the greatest artists the world has ever seen. And today, he is recognised as one of the pillars of Western art, often placed alongside da Vinci and Michelangelo as one of Italy's legendary artists. But for all that, the masterful paintings, the dizzying talent, the trailblazing influence that he had on the art world... For all that, he was, beyond it all, just a bloke who loved to have a bit of a punch-up.
But that's it. That's all she wrote today, sports fans. That is the story of Caravaggio. Can't believe this one flew under the radar for so long. And I implore you, dear listener, if you know of any other figure from history like Caravaggio, who we've all heard of, but did we didn't know the true story about how this bloke was just a street fighter. Like, what the hell was going on there, mate? Going to see him in Tekken 7. Unbelievable story. Thank you so much, Jesse, for sending it in. And I implore you, dear listener, if you know any stories like this, please send it in because I, 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 ne- I want and I need to get across them. It was so, so much fun to read about this bloke and I hope you enjoyed uh, learning a little bit more. I mean, now, next time, you know, you're well-equipped to have a conversation about art histories. Oh, yes, of course, Caravaggio, well-known for his tenebrism and just bashing blokes up. How about that? Anyway... Thanks for listening. Of course, all the boring housekeeping stuff coming your way here. Halfhousehistory.net is the website. You can go there. You can find links to all the stuff that you need. Ways to subscribe to the show on anchor.fm. You can buy merch as well. Uh, bit.ly slash H-A-H merch if you want to go and get across it there. Use the link on the uh, the website. It's the best way to do that. And of course, the Patreon. Patreon.com slash halfhousehistory if you want to support the show financially. Thank you so much to all of the exalted patrons keeping me flush with cash. Oh, the dollars keep rolling in from these suckers. I mean, these um, generous and and kind-hearted patrons uh, of my work here. I mean, you know, you're very much my Cardinal Del Montes, although I will say I have no expectation that you will come and bail me out of any legal trouble I get in when I start beating people up on the street. So don't worry about that. Anyway, thanks for listening. Uh, Thanks for uh, for those who telling people about the show. Tell your your friends, tell your enemies, tell people about whom you largely feel ambivalent, all the same to me. And I'll see you next week. Until then. We've got a painting question that was posed on Reddit here. This comes to us from Redditor Asperger's1, who wants to know, If colour was only invented in the 1900s, how come Caravaggio's paintings have colour?